All right, I show you that little video just to tell you that everybody has a different perspective on the Christmas story. We all come from a myriad of backgrounds, and maybe the Christmas story was told to us a little different. Maybe you did well on the quiz, Christmas quiz we had this morning. Maybe you didn't. But it's not easy sometimes getting all the facts straight about Christmas. It's also not easy, I don't believe, getting our faith and our feelings lined up at times in our life. Uh, The question I asked for you this morning is, does Christmas really bring joy? Does it really bring peace and hope and forgiveness? When you stop and you look around in our society today, according to most studies, this season that we're celebrating is truly a season of stress and distress. It's a season of sadness for many, not gladness. There's a group called the Mental Health America, and they did a survey on anxiety. And they said that anxiety rises in people at certain times of the year. And the results showed that failing finances, missing a loved one, Having too much to do were the, the top stressors. And the holiday season, Christmas season, was one of the high-ranking uh, holidays that stress was evident in people's lives. NBC conducted a poll one year, and they found out that 41% of us are maxed out in the month of December. And the stress rates right up there with asking the boss for a raise or going to the dentist. That's just the the Christmas time of year. That's the stress that it brings to so many people. Uh, Last week, we focused on joy, and we found out that it only comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift that God gave us, we found in the Old Testament, was proclaimed to be on the way, and the gift was Jesus, who is the only way for our salvation. And the more, this morning, I want us to focus on peace. All I want for Christmas is joy. All I want for Christmas is peace. This time of year, we break away from our regular teaching through the, the, the Bible, and we, we highlight some scriptures that have to deal with Christmas time. And so uh, we'll be back into Matthew after the first of the year. But this morning, I want us to focus on, on the subject of peace. In Luke, if you turn over to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, we looked at this last week. In verse 10, we saw that the, the, the angel appeared, one angel appeared to the shepherds in Luke 10 and announced good news of great joy, That will be for all people. That's what the scripture says. And then suddenly an entire army of angelic messengers filled the sky. And they said, in verse 14 it says, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. While shepherds do sing in different portions of the Bible, this time it says that they say these words in worship. Uh, The word there, suddenly, means that all of a sudden this heavenly host came unexpectedly. They didn't expect it. It's as if one angel was announcing the news, but that wasn't enough. 
the sky is suddenly filled, it says, with a multitude of messengers, a multitude of angels, a great company of warriors, who knows how many, perhaps more than 100,000, worshiping widest and deepest and highest praise possible that supernatural beings could offer. And they couldn't help do that because the Savior, Christ, the Lord, had been born. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us, or 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12 tells us this, that angels long to look into these things. Into what things? Into the idea of redemption, into the idea of salvation. See, one of the distinguishing differences between angels and humans is angels cannot be redeemed. Angels cannot be saved. You're either a holy angel or an unholy angel. And if you're an unholy angel, if you're a demon, there's no way that you could ever bridge that gap and become a holy angel. There's no redemption for that. So when they see God speaking of salvation for humans, it says that they long to look into these things. They're curious about it. They're peering into our redemption. And these angels were waiting a long time for the birth of the baby. And now they burst out in adoration and praise. The doxology there was God-centered. It was glory-focused. Um, I mean, can you imagine how loud it must have been, all those angels? Uh, their praise led them to declare this proclamation of peace. Look at what it says in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And then it says this, And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some translations read, And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, a lot of different commentators believe this can be understood in different ways. One translation says this, On earth peace among men who are the objects of his pleasure. You could say it this way, Peace comes to those who praise him and grace to those who give him glory. One Greek scholar renders it this way, and I like this, peace among men who are recipients of God's good pleasure. Bruce Larson comments on this verse, and he says, if you are able to receive what God wants to give, the message of peace is for you. See, the highest degree of glory to God is connected with the giving of the Son. It all starts in heaven with God's perfect plan. And it arrives on earth where peace just comes to those who personalize that message, who are willing to understand their sinfulness before a holy God, who are willing to cry out in desperate need of a Savior. It's available to all, but it's activated only for those who come to Emmanuel, God with us, for those who believe for those who receive. Turn over to the Gospel of John with me. John chapter 1. We all know this verse. John chapter 1. Verse 12. Verse 11 says, He came to His own, but His own people 
did not receive him, John 1, 12, and then, or John 1, 11, and then John verse, chapter 1, verse 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who is him, Christ, who all did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, you say he gave the privilege, he gave the right to become children of God. And then it goes on and it says, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. But whose will were they born? What does it say at the end of verse 13? Of God. It's so important for us to understand. I think so much that we have in the church today seems to be backwards in our theological thinking. You know, we hear people say, oh, well, I received Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I came to Jesus. I did this. I did that. And yeah, there is that aspect of us responding to the gospel call. That's, that's there. You can't negate that in Scripture. But there's also something to be said about the sovereignty of God in our salvation. We don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I think I want to change my life. I think I'll turn over a new leaf. I think I'll become a Christian. We don't do that. The Bible says very clearly that God is at work in the hearts, in the minds, in the souls of men and women, drawing them to himself. Notice that peace comes only after praising. Back to Luke 2.14. We must put God and his glory first in our lives. Then we will have peace. So many people want peace in their, they want happiness. They want all this stuff, joy in their life. But they're unwilling to come to the only God, the only one who can give them such thing. And that is God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's a neat time of year. It's a fun time of year for many. There's nothing magical about this time of year if you don't know the Christ of Christmas. You truly don't understand what this time of year is about. You hear the phrase, happy holidays, all the time. I was down going to Safeway, and I saw one of the Salvation Army people out there ringing the bell. And I was in a hurry, so I couldn't even stop, but I wanted to stop so bad. Because I heard the guy saying, happy holidays to everybody. And I said, do you even know what the people that are having you, paying you to ring this little bell and collect money for this church called the Salvation, do you know what they believe? <laughs> but even that phrase, happy holidays, it's meaningless without an acknowledgement of the holiness of God. See, the precondition of peace in our lives is to first praise God. And to be able to praise God for his glory and his grace, you have to come to the Savior. You have to come broken, needy, a sinner that needs his grace, needs his salvation. Do you know the word peace appears over 400 times in the scripture? You say, well, how do you know it? Did you count them all? No, I have a computer that tells me that. (laughs) I don't know how they figured this stuff out before computers. Man, it'd take a while. Can you imagine? Amazing what software can do. In the Old Testament, peace is the word what? Shalom in Hebrew. And it talks about, a, it, it describes a state of wholeness. 
it's state, a state of harmony. And it's, it's intended to kind of reach out and resonate in all relationships. When used as a greeting, shalom was a wish for outward freedom from disturbance, as well as an inward sense of well-being. To a people, the Jewish people, who were constantly harassed by their enemies, who still are harassed by their enemies to this day, peace was a real blessing to them. If you look in the Old Testament back in Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, we see where this word is used. Number 6, 24, 26. God gave Moses these words to use them as a blessing to his people. He wanted Moses to be able to bless his people with these words. And here's what, what this, this word of blessing was. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. And we've heard this. As soon as I say it, you'll... you'll Hear it. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. Give you peace. We're in this series, All I Want for Christmas. Last week we looked at joy. Today we're looking at peace. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 61 that was written some 700 years before Jesus was born. And then we moved into a scene in a synagogue where Jesus applied those words in Isaiah to himself. In Luke 4 we saw that. And we're linking those two passages together by drawing from the Christmas story out of Luke 2 and Matthew 1. If you turn over to Isaiah, chapter 61, the prophet Isaiah, it says in verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and He has sent me to bind up the what? The brokenhearted. Jesus came to bring joy. He didn't come to rain on your parade. He didn't come to make you miserable. He didn't come to keep you from doing all the, quote, fun stuff in this world. That's not the reason that Jesus came. He came to bring joy. And we described joy last week. Joy is not based on our circumstances. Joy is based on what? Our knowledge of who God is. It's an inner joy that affects our soul. We can be in dire straits and still have the joy of God in our heart. But it also says there that he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. That really echoes Psalm 147.3 where he says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147.3. That word brokenhearted, if you just stop and think about it, you'll kind of understand what it means. It talks about those who are broken, that are deeply afflicted, you might say, that are saddened for some reason, they're downcast, they're dejected. We sing a song once in a a while from the Psalms, and it says, Why so downcast, O my soul? 
Put your hope in God. One guy put together a little list of who the brokenhearted are. He says, the brokenhearted are those who have been crushed by loss. They're trampled by circumstances. They're broken by bereavement. They're beaten down by abuse. They're despairing because of disappointment. They're incapacitated by physical ailments. Maybe they're even smothered by loneliness. They're victimized by their aggressors. They're rejected by those they love. Maybe they've been paralyzed by bad decisions in their life. Maybe they've been made destitute because of their sin. See, brokenness hits us physically. It hits us relationally. It hits us emotionally. It hits us financially. It hits us even spiritually. And in times like this, I really take great comfort in another psalm, Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to them. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. See, the religious people in Jesus' day, as we've seen through the Gospel of Matthew as we've studied it. You think that the religious people would be the people that would be binding up the brokenhearted and reaching out to those who are, are physically ailed? And think, No, it was just the opposite. Because their theology said, well, they are brokenhearted because somehow they've sinned and we don't want to get near them. And so they would back away from the brokenhearted people. And that's why when Jesus came, he said, well, you know, I came to heal. If you're not sick... Why would I come to you? Why would you call for a doctor if you're not sick? You wouldn't do that. Now, we're all sick. What the Bible says is sickness, because the Bible says very clearly through the Apostle Paul that all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's not one person in the world, including the Pope, whoever, whatever religious icon you want to think of, who has not sinned in some way or fashion. And yet, so many religious people think that, well, no, not me. And especially the religious people of Jesus' day, they'd wear their fancy robes and they'd go out on the street and they'd pray. And they'd say, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. Look at me, I got all the gold on and people look up to me and I'm respected in this society. I'm not like that worm over there sitting in the squalor. Can't even get up because he's crippled. Probably did something wrong. He probably sinned. God's judging him. We stay away from people like that. That was a religious mindset. And beloved, it's not too far from the religious mindset today that a lot of people have. Isaiah 9, 6, we read it this morning, tells us that one of the names of the Lord is the Prince of what? Peace. The Prince of Peace. It literally reads, the Prince whose coming brings peace. And Isaiah 9, 7 adds, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 53, 3 says that Jesus is a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He bandages up that which is broken. 
See, the neat thing about our Christianity, the neat thing about our belief in what the Bible points us to as far as our relationship with God, and I don't know if you're excited about this, but I am, it's a personal relationship. We're not just one of many that God looks down on and says, oh yeah, that's my group. No. When he looks down from heaven, he sees you as an individual. He gives you personal attention. He soothes your pain. He heals you. He restores you to wholeness. He doesn't just say, oh, this group of people, the church, yeah, that's my group, so I've got to deal with them. No, there's people that make up the church. That's you, that's me. And he brings peace, frankly, where there is no peace. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2 says this, he does it with tenderness. He does it with tenderness. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Remember in the New Testament, when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, it says that he had what? Compassion on them. Because they were as a sheep without, shepherd, without a shepherd. You know, that's a good lesson for us to really understand that as Christians, we should be asking God to use us to bandage up the brokenhearted in our society. I mean, even in our own church, we got a lot of people that are banged up. A lot of people that are older in age can't get out. A lot of people that need a special touch, special call, maybe a little note. I mean, we're all broken in some way. You get that, right? I mean, none of us have, no, I'm totally arrived. That's not the case. It's just that some of us are better at hiding it from others than, than some. But we're all broken. Even this morning, I'm sure we have some, what I would call, camouflaged Christians here. Maybe you're really hurting, but you're hiding it from everybody. How was your week? Oh, it was fine. But inside you're crying for somebody to really hear the burden of your heart. See, I'm here to tell you, friends, that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. He whose heart was broken for sinners knows how to heal broken hearts for sinners. His own heart was broken, the Bible says, for sinners. But he's able to come into your life and he's able to heal you. He's able to to mend you, to, to heal up all your sin, to forgive it, to remove it from you, to reconcile you to the God who created you. That word peace in the New Testament means to join together, to mend to set as one again. Some of you, if you ever had a broken limb, a broken arm, I've never had a, a broken bone in my body yet. Some of you were talking about IVs the other day. I don't know who it was. I think it was at dinner. That was kind of a weird thing to talk about now that I think about it. I think it was at dinner, wasn't it? We were talking, yeah, we were talking about IVs. We went out with the elders and their wives for dinner and, and we were talking about IVs and... Uh, they were saying, well, I get mine here. Oh, I get mine over here. And I said, I've never had one. I've never had an IV. And I, I, I remember just leaving there thinking, man, praise God. You know, I, I mean, I was in the hospital maybe one time for my tonsils when I was a little kid. 
and, and that's, you know, when I was five or something. But other than that, so far, been okay. Now, the wheels could fall off the cart tomorrow or today. Who knows, you know? You may be visiting me this afternoon in Kaiser's. How's the IV feel now, Steve? You know, I don't know. That's up to God. That's not up to me. But you know what? I praise him for his grace. But that word peace in the New Testament means to join together, to set at one again. To mend, to, 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 to bring back together. It's the idea of gluing something back together. The other day my wife noticed one of our nativity things. Did I tell you we got a couple of nativity things in our house <laughs> this time of year? Anyway, one of them <laughs> needed some mending. Poor Joseph, I think it was Joseph, his little hand with the lamp broke off, you know. So I had to get the glue out. I had to, you know, delicately glue this hand back on Joseph. And I think I did a pretty good job. He's still holding the lantern. So, but that's the idea here of peace, bringing something back together. And I want to share with you just four different thoughts on that word this morning, peace. First of all, peace with God is the first thing. Peace with God. That's the vertical dimension. You know, we live on a horizontal plane down here. We have relationships with one, with one with each other and things like that, other people. But we also need to have a relationship with God. That's a vertical relationship. Before we can understand this first dimension of peace, we have to come to grips with the state of our relationships with God apart from Christ. See, God loves us. He cherishes us. We, he created us, for goodness sakes. And he is filled with wrath and indignation and anger because of our sinfulness. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Billy Graham wrote a book a long time ago called Peace with God. And he says this, The greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God considers them to be at war with him. And you know what? That's true. You know, there's no halfway point. There's no gray area there. Either you're on God's side or you're not. Romans 5.1 gives the good news. It says there, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that peace can't come until we have been justified. We've been made right with God. The only way that we can bridge that, reconcile that relationship with our Heavenly Father is through His Son. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me, you and I can know and be at peace with God. God the Father poured out His wrath. He poured out His fury his indignation on his own son because it was he who took on our sin. He died in our place. 
as our sin substitute. It was Emmanuel, God with us, our intermediary. He was the one who hung on the cross for us. And God treated him as if he would as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever put their faith in him. And yet he had never committed one sin. Colossians 1.20 says this, that Jesus reconciled himself to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus reconciled, he brought together all things, making peace, through his blood shed on the cross. I mean, peace is a wonderful thing. There are many nations that have prayed for peace. The only reason they were praying for peace is because they were what? They were at war. They were at war. Peace only sounds wonderful, beloved, when we recognize that we've been at war. If everything's fine and dandy in your life and you say, hey, I'm praying, you have a peaceful life, you say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. See, it's a radical thought that God's anger is satisfied because of the sacrifice of his own son. I mean, that's a pretty radical thought if you stop and think about that. God's fury is fully absorbed by the death of Jesus Christ. Once we're justified by faith, peace becomes a reality for the believer. That word in our text there, with, God points to a person's relationship with God. There's a face-to-face aspect that indicates a relational reconciliation that has taken place. And we find that isolation has been replaced with intimacy, with the very God that created you. We can face a holy God as we sang about this morning because now we're glued to Him through Christ. We don't deserve this peace to man on whom His favor rests. We don't deserve it at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment because of our sin. But because of God's great love, he provided a way for us to be set once again at one with him. God's joy, God's justice converged on the cross of Calvary. His love and his law found satisfaction through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. God is both just and the justifier. I want us to look this morning once again at what Jesus read when he stands up in the synagogue. We looked at this last week, Isaiah 61.1. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, Isaiah 61.1, and to release the oppressed. That's really the, the Messiah's mission statement. That's why he came. They were amazed when he said that he had fulfilled that scripture. I mean, everything was going great. 
in Luke there, until you get down to about verse 22, it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Until he quoted other sections of scriptures that showed how much God loves you know, the whole world, not just the Jews. The Jewish people at that time looked down on those who were lost around them. They didn't want anything to do with them. There was Jews and there was Gentiles. And if you were not a Jew, you were basically a dog. That's how they looked at it. And when Jesus talked about healing the hurting heathen, when he talked about joy for even the Gentiles and peace for the pagans, the religious people just went nuts. They couldn't imagine him saying these things. See, they wanted a safe Savior to meet their needs. But they didn't really want somebody who would come alongside and heal the broken and minister to those who've been beaten down. Verse 28 says there, that all the people in the synagogue were furious. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up and they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down off that cliff. Actually, I had the opportunity to go up on that cliff when we were over in Israel, and David Hockney asked me to teach it on that section of the gospel. Amazing. See, Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people. I want to ask you this morning, have you acquired that peace from God today? Or is your heart still far away from Him? Do you still feel disconnected? I mean, that's part of the reason why we're here as a church in this dark and sin-filled area of the country. It's to connect people with Jesus the Christ. And if you have yet to be connected with Him, if you have yet to be saved by His grace, we'd love to help you through, talk to you if you have questions. See, no matter how far away you feel, I want you to allow the truth of Isaiah 57:19 to wash over you. Isaiah 57:19 says this, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and he and I will heal them. God can heal your heart even this morning. I think also, secondly, I want to look at the peace of God. The peace of God, not just the peace with God, but the peace of God. See, in order to have the peace of God internally, we must first experience peace with God vertically. That's the relational aspect of it. The upper dimension must be taken care of before we can have that inward peace. Those at peace with God can experience the peace of God. Look at John chapter 14, verse 27. John 14, 27 Jesus says this, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I don't give you 
as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, that inner peace is a gift from Jesus himself to you. And he comes to us as one of the, the key elements of the fruit of the Spirit. We'll experience this peace in proportion to the room that we give the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, a lot of people say, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, yeah, love, joy, peace, all that. You know, I, I maybe have one or two of those. No, that's not what the text says over there in Galatians. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural. It's singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All those things are fruit in your life when the Spirit dwells within you through salvation by Christ. That inner peace that we're talking about comes only in that way. You can't conjure it up. You can't create it. You can't manufacture it yourself. You say, well, man, if I just had you know, all my bills paid for and everything taken care of, for the, I'd be at peace. No, you wouldn't. Do you know that some of the richest people in the world are miserable? They have money coming out their ears. And they're lonely. They feel like everybody wants something from them. They can't trust anybody. And their life is definitely not peaceful. Just if my marriage was better, just if this, my kids are, you know, we can go down any road and think that somehow that's going to give you peace. If I had a better job. No. Beloved, that will not give you peace. There's only one way that you can obtain this kind of peace, this kind of joy that we talked about last week, and that's through the Lord himself. Coming to him broken as a sinner. Realizing that you can't save yourself. Asking him to reconcile you to the Father through his grace. I'm reminded of Philippians 4-7 where it says, Peace that surpasses all understanding. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it was a troubled time in your family, maybe it was a, maybe you were in an auto accident, maybe whatever. Just a kind of a, a situation where things were out of control. And yet, when you look back on it, you thought, you know what? For some reason, I kind of had a peace in that situation. I don't understand it. I don't understand why I wasn't overacting or really, you know, going nuts or, you know, just losing it. But for some reason, I had a peace. It comes from God. That's a peace that surpasses all understanding. That allows you to be in a, a situation like that where everything... For every reason given, you should be, you know, just responding in an excited and over-the-top manner, and yet you're maintaining calm. Why? Because it's, it's God's peace. Zechariah prophesying about the coming of the Lord in Luke one seventy nine says this, He's to guide our feet into the path of peace. As God gives us peace, what we need to do is we need to reach out with others and translate that peace to them. Remembering God loves the broken-hearted people. We should be emulating that. Sometimes the church seems to imply that a hurting person is a deficient person. That's not true. Somehow we think that they don't have enough faith. 
Or maybe they're just not living right. Maybe God's judging them for some reason. You know what? A hurting person is just a human being, beloved. And we all go through our hurts and pains. People hurt. And you know what? The neat thing is God knows we hurt. God not only understands, but he wants to help. He sent Christ because he loves the hurting world. God understands. He always understands. He knows everything. I want to challenge you to look for the hurting this holiday season. Make a point to reach out to somebody. Maybe they've gone through a death. Maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've gone through an illness. Include those who are alone this time of the year. Well, also, peace with others. Peace with others is the third point. When we're at peace with God and we have that internal peace, then we can be at peace with others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace. For he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the what? The peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. I mean, in that text in Matthew 5, 9, when we went through that, I just want to remind you that Jesus didn't tell us to be peacemakers. That's not the, the, the point. He didn't tell us to be peace or keepers, excuse me. He told us to be peacemakers. He didn't say just keep the peace, just make sure you keep the peace. No, he said make peace. You could translate that peace workers. You know what? And sometimes it takes great effort to bring conflict to an end. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sometimes you've got to work at it. Sometimes it takes months, it takes years. But you know what? We're, to, we're called to do that. We work at resolving conflict. And when we do that, we're doing what God wants us to do. You don't just turn the other way and say, okay, well, whatever. I don't get along with them anymore. I'm going to move on. That's, that's not God's answer. Especially within the church. We're called to make peace. When we're involved in conflict. Romans 14.19 says this. Lays out our responsibility beautifully. Romans 14.19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. And to mutual edification. We have to do everything we can to maintain that peace that God promises us. That peace is part of the whole of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, determine right now today that, you know what, you're going to be a planter of peace in, in, in people's lives, not a sower of strife. Anyone you need to be one with? Some of you are getting together with the holidays, with family and friends and to be honest, some of you are probably dreading it. You're sitting there this morning going, oh man, 
Christmas dinner with my in-laws or with my outlaws or with whoever. Because you're in conflict with somebody. And it's not going to be a comfortable feeling to be around them. When you don't deal with that, what happens? It just grows into this bitter spirit. And God's saying, you know what? Let it go. It's time to let it go. Move on. Ask God for the strength to do that. Fourth, peace for others. The only way for people to have peace with God is to have peace inside. To be at peace with others is for people like us, believers, to tell them about the gospel of peace. Peter summarizes this in Acts 10.36. Acts 10.36, he says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Have you told people about the Prince of Peace? It's a wonderful time to do it. People now are more open to the gospel because it's Christmas time than any other time of the year. Now, yeah, you, you probably get some jeers and some mocking, whatever that goes with the territory. Man, it just takes one time for somebody to respond in a spirit-led way and say, wow, that, that's interesting. How do I know more about this? And just as the shepherds hurried, hurried off to tell the good news to people, we have to be able to share that peace that we have with others. I saw a survey this past week. It said that 82% of people without a church, 82% of people without a church are receptive to attend church if the, someone would only invite them and bring them. 82% of people who don't go to any church If you just reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to come to church? You invite them. That's the good news. The field is white. The bad news is this. Survey went on and said this. Only 21% of church-going Christians has ever invited someone to church. 21%. I mean, stop and think about that. Stop and think about it this way. When's the last time you invited someone to church? I mean, if you believe that you know the Savior, if you believe that the the Word of God is true, if you believe that It's through the power of the gospel that people come into a relationship with the Savior. I mean, at least if you're not bold enough to tell them yourself, bring them to a place where they'll hear the gospel of Christ. Invite them. Close with this. How serious are you about wanting peace this Christmas? How serious are you? Not sure? Maybe you want to learn more? Maybe God's spoken to your heart even this morning and you're ready to receive the Prince of Peace, His gift of salvation. Maybe I'll use whatever it takes to invite people to hear the gospel. 
Father, we thank you for our word this morning. Lord, I know that this time of year, sometimes it's, it can be a real uh, drain on people. I know that even in the closing statements on the, the radio this past week when I was making them, I included the thought that maybe you've lost a loved one. And this time of the year, you just can't deal with it. It's tough. Because Christmas is all about family and friends spending time together. And when you don't have that family or friend to spend time with, it makes it rather difficult. I would pray that you would look for that peace that we spoke of this morning, not in a past relationship. That hurt's always going to be there. That's not going to go away. But you know what? God can give you the peace to deal with it. He can give you that inner joy that can only come through His Son and through the forgiveness that He offers by grace, through faith. I pray this morning that if there's any here who's yet to put their faith or trust in You, God, I know You're working. But Lord, I also know that Jesus also invited people to follow him. And I would invite them this morning, those who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, to do just that, to cry out to God for his mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me this salvation. Show me this forgiveness that you offer. Show me my need. He'll answer that prayer when it's prayed from a sincere and repentful heart. And for us believers, I pray that we would not forget this time of year as purely for the sake of honoring and glorifying your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to guard against any other influence. Help it to be about you and your goodness and your grace and your gift to us, that indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus, that provides our salvation. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.